Our scripture reading for today is found in the book of Genesis, Genesis and chapter 39, Genesis chapter 39. Before I read, allow me to remind you uh, of where we're at in the story of Genesis here. We've had, of course, the, the, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, and then Jacob has these 12 sons, these 12 boys, and he has particular favor for uh, young Joseph, the oldest son of his beloved wife, Rachel. And the favoritism that's shown to Joseph stirs up jealousy amongst his brothers, and they end up selling him to some Ishmaelite traders who are on their way down to Egypt. That's where chapter 38, or chapter 37, really uh, finishes off. But now as we pick up in chapter 39, we'll see how Joseph would fare in these difficult, challenging circumstances. So let's now hear from God's word. Genesis 39, beginning at verse 1. And beloved, this is the holy, infallible word of the living God. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was in all that he had in the house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day by day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. As soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him, The same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. And showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. 
Amen. And we thank God for the public reading of his word, and we trust that he will bless it to our hearts. The book of Genesis is a favorite for many. Uh, It records for us the lives of many different characters. Uh, Right from the beginning, we have uh, Adam and Eve uh, created without sin, and yet they fall from their innocency by rebelling against God. Thankfully, God doesn't abandon mankind in, in his sinful state, but he promises to send one who would redeem them. But as the book of Genesis unfolds, we, we come across different characters, and the levels of their faithfulness to God are a bit of a roller coaster. We can think of Noah, a man of great faithfulness in building the ark, but he ends up a bit of a drunkard. Abraham is, a, is another great man of faith, and yet he lies about his relationship with Sarah to the Egyptians. And Isaac and Jacob are another mixed bag for sure. But as we come to the account of the life of Joseph, we get a lot of encouragements. Of course, we know he wasn't a perfect man. He was a sinner like you and me. But the old commentators are are, are very good at pointing out that Joseph's faithfulness, as it is recorded in Genesis, sets before us a type or a shadowy picture of Christ. Joseph was a man who suffered at the hands of his brothers He was humiliated as a slave in Egypt, but then he was exalted to a position of authority and would save multitudes of people from starvation, including his own family, who were the church of God under age. So there are definitely ways in which Joseph is a great picture of the Christ who was to come. And there's much that we can learn from his example, particularly in this 39th chapter of Genesis. The first thing we want to look at as we study this text is the situation Joseph is in. The situation Joseph is in. Of course, in the, we know in the previous chapters, uh, we learn of his brother's jealousy and them, them selling him as a slave down to Egypt. But in God's providence, Joseph ends up being sold to Potiphar, who verse 1 tells us was an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian. And we see here God's hand of providence working in Joseph's circumstances. He could have been sold as a slave to work in the fields or in some other hard labor, but God was orchestrating all these transactions to bring him into the house to work as a servant of a high-ranking government official. And even in this place, many miles from his home and family, miles away from anyone who knew or worshipped Jehovah, in verse 2 we read, the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. God was with Joseph. And it's interesting that we never read of God verbally communicating with Joseph, as he did with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But nevertheless, Joseph is aware of God's presence with him. The great commentator Matthew Henry writes this, Joseph was separated from his brethren, but not from his God. Banished from his father's house, but the Lord was with him, and this comforted him. God's presence with his people is a fact that we ought to consider when we're alone. Maybe you young people have a hard time in school. Maybe there aren't many other Christians in your class, and you might feel alone. Or maybe in your place of work, you're the only believer. Others may openly mock the Christian faith, and that makes you feel isolated. Or perhaps due to the loss of a loved one, you live on your own, or maybe you spend a lot of time on your own. Yes, it might be difficult, 
But remember, even when you feel completely alone, God is with you, just as he was with Joseph. Joseph might have thought, I'm far away from family, far from those who worship God. I'm all alone. But God was with him and blessed him. God was not only with Joseph, but he enabled him to carry out his work with excellence. And his good work was recognized by Potiphar, verse 3 and following. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had he put under his authority. And we read on in verse 5 that God blessed Potiphar's house for Joseph's sake. Verse 5, so it was from that time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was in all that he had in the house and in the field. There's a good note of application for us here. That no matter where we find ourselves, let us be faithful in all that we do. In Colossians 3 verses 22 and following, Paul outlines some practical advice for for bond servants. But we can apply it to ourselves in whatever work we do as as employers or, or, or work in the home or wherever we find ourselves working. Paul writes, bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart fearing God. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. That's the mindset that Joseph had. He obeyed his master, not just to please him, but with a sincere heart fearing God. He worked heartily as if he was working for the Lord and not for Potiphar. He was ultimately serving the Lord in his work. And so maybe you think that only elders or or deacons serve the Lord. God doesn't care about my secular employment. No, dear friends, God created us to work. Whether you're out working 40 to 50 hours a week to earn a living, or you're in the home caring for children or, or the elderly, Remember Joseph's example. Remember Colossians 3 verse 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Joseph showed a willingness to work and serve in the place that God had put him. And God blessed him. So the situation Joseph found himself in was quite mixed, you could say. Surely he was grieved and troubled by the fact that his brothers had betrayed him and sold him as a slave. But having said that, even in this place, the Lord was with him. And that's a comfort to him. And knowing God's presence with him, that motivates his work for Potiphar. And he's a willing and useful servant to his master. And God blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. So that was the situation that Joseph was in. But next in this passage, we see the great temptation Joseph faced. After a period of time working in in Potiphar's house, Joseph likely became a popular character. He he was a successful man. He was a hard worker. He he was of good stature in his work. But not only that, verse 6 tells us, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Joseph's good looks were, of course, a, a gift from God. But Satan used this in his temptation Because his good work and his good looks were noticed by Potiphar's wife. Verse 7. It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast eyes on Joseph. 
and she said, lie with me. A lot of the old commentators uh, spend some time pointing out the heinousness of this woman's actions, and, and rightfully so. She is totally shameless in her ploy to draw Joseph into sin. She has no regard for moral purity, no respect for the marriage covenant that she's in, and her persistence showed her great wickedness. Verse 10 says, she spoke to him day after day with her wicked suggestions. This was not just a one-time thing, but Joseph faced her temptations on a daily basis for a period of time. And it's important that we consider who it was that's tempting Joseph in this way. She's the wife of a high-ranking government official. No doubt she was used to getting what she wanted. She was the wife of Joseph's master. It was his job to obey her. It was in his interest to please her and to keep her happy. If he did that, surely she would be a great help to him in his career in Egypt. On the other hand, of course, it would be very dangerous for Joseph to make an enemy of this woman. Joseph was certainly facing a great temptation. And we can see the hand of Satan in this episode. Satan had found that he couldn't overcome Joseph with troubles and difficulties. Even when sold as a slave into Egypt, Joseph still shows integrity and uprightness in his work for Potiphar. And so when Satan realizes that he couldn't overwhelm Joseph with troubles, he assaults him with soft, charming pleasures from an adulterous woman. Temptations such as this had overcome many men before this event. We read earlier in Genesis of Joseph's brothers, Reuben and Judah, how they were driven by sinful lust. Many men after Joseph were ensnared by this temptation. We think, of course, of King David and his sin with Bathsheba. So it was certainly a great temptation that Joseph faced. Dear friends, we likewise can face many temptations. Some of them are regular daily inward temptations to have wrong thoughts about others, to think little of God, to prioritize worldly things. But sometimes temptations can come at us in a very upfront manner. When other people tempt us to do what is wrong, to sin against God. Allow me to present with you a few examples for your consideration. Maybe you boys and girls in school could be tempted when someone asked to, to copy your questions in a maths test. You know that that would be dishonest, but you think this person's really cool. You want to be their friend. You don't want to upset them but they've asked you to sin against God. What are you going to do? Maybe you young people, your friends might invite you to someone's house on a Friday night and you know their parents aren't going to be there and the last time that this happened, somebody brought alcohol and things got out of hand. But they say to you, don't, don't tell your parents about that. Just say nothing and come on ahead. They've asked you to lie to your parents and possibly to overindulge with alcohol sins against God, what are you going to do? In your place of work, you could be asked by someone to write false information on an official document, maybe to illegally save your firm some money. You're being asked to lie. What are you going to do? Or perhaps you could face the exact same temptation that Joseph did here. If you spend time with people of the opposite gender in your work or social activities, and in private conversation, they ask you 
to sin against God with them. What are you going to do? Of course, it's good advice to avoid the opportunity for these temptations as much as possible. But in Joseph's case, this temptation was sort of unavoidable. Speaking with and serving Potiphar's wife was part of his job description. So it was an upfront, unavoidable temptation that this young man faced. How would he react to it? Imagine for a moment that you're reading the Bible for the very first time. And you come to Genesis 39 and and this temptation. Your mind would surely go back to chapter 3 of Genesis. Where Adam and Eve were tempted to sin and failed. You would wonder to yourself, will Joseph fail like they did? Will Satan once again trip up the people of God? Here was Joseph, a young man, late teenager, or early 20s, somewhere, somewhere in those area. He was hundreds of miles from home, and what was probably one of the most physically attractive women in Egypt asks him to lie with her. That's the great temptation Joseph faced. But next we see in this passage the great resolve Joseph makes. Verses 8 and 9. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. He has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. What a noble stand Joseph here takes for purity. He explains to her what she already knew, that that Joseph had been placed in a position of authority and leadership in his master's house. Everything was committed to his authority except his master's wife. And he reminds her of an important truth that she had willfully set aside. The fact that the marriage covenant she was in was a serious commitment and that he was in no position to sin with her in this way. It would be a violation of his master's trust. But not only that, Joseph points out that there is an even greater reason for his refusal to lie with her. Verse 9, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Look how Joseph considers adultery to be a great wickedness. He knows the moral law of God. Even before Mount Sinai, before the publication of the seventh commandment. Because God's moral law is unchanging. God had set the rules for marriage in the garden. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Joseph knew this, and he was resolute that he was not going to break the moral law of God. And he rightly regarded adultery as a wicked act of sin. He would have agreed totally with the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6, 15 and following, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. See, Joseph knew that it would have been a great sin to join himself physically to this Egyptian harlot. He calls adultery a great wickedness. Many people in his day, as well as in ours, maybe thought little of the sin of adultery. As long as no one finds out, what harm will it do? 
But no, dear friends, this would have been a great sin if Joseph were to lie with another man's wife. We see that in what Paul goes on to say to the Corinthians. No doubt he had Joseph in mind when he wrote, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In this text, amongst many other things, Paul is pointing out that there is something particularly heinous about sexual immorality. Because it's so intensely personal and intimate, it is presented to us in Scripture as a most serious and wicked sin. So, dear friends, when we are tempted to sin, let us be quick to point out the wickedness of it, just as Joseph did. How can I do this great wickedness? And he goes on to say, and sin against God. Here Joseph acknowledges that committing this sin with Potiphar's wife would not just be a sin against his master. It would not just be a sin against his own flesh, but ultimately against his creator and his master. One commentator notes, believers look upon this as the worst thing in sin, that it is against God. It's against his nature and his dominion, against his love and his design. Those that love God do for this reason hate sin. Joseph loved God and he hated sin. And so he refused to even entertain the notion of sinning against his God with Potiphar's wife. Verse two, verse 10, sorry, so it was, she spoke to Joseph day after day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Even though Joseph takes his stand day after day, she still persists. And one day she came up with a cunning scheme Verse 11, but it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work. None of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. Look at this evil woman's persistence. She organizes it one day for only her and Joseph to be in the house. This gave him a greater opportunity to give in to temptation. No one else is in the house. No one's going to find out what's he going to do. Verse 12 continues, but he left his garment in her hand and got out of the house. Joseph flees the place of violent temptation. Beloved, is there not a great lesson for us here? As I mentioned earlier, some temptations that we face are very much internal. We can battle with lustful, covetous thoughts in our hearts and minds. But there are certain temptations which we can physically and actively Flee from. If you have a problem with covetousness or poor stewardship and you're standing in another shop tempted to buy something not because you need it but simply because you want it. Would Joseph not say flee temptation? Get out of the shop. Or you're scrolling through your phone and find yourself looking at something you know you shouldn't be. Flee temptation. Put it down and walk away. Maybe for you it's the temptation of gluttony. After a long day's work, you have a craving for a packet of crisps, even though you've had three packets already today, and your wife has made a perfectly satisfactory dinner for you. You know you don't need it, but you are driven and tempted by that craving. Take Joseph's advice. Flee temptation. Walk away from the cupboard. 
Beloved, we need to resist temptation. Even if that means physically removing ourselves from the place of that temptation when it is at all possible, no matter what the cost. It's important to remember that we aren't alone in this battle. God will help us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Joseph knew something of that strengthening grace as he took his stand against Mrs. Potiphar's temptation. It's interesting to note as well here that Joseph doesn't apologize for refusing to lie with her. Too often we can be so worried about our own reputation with other people that we apologize for living godly lives. They're going to think I'm weird. They're going to misinterpret what I've done. But some friends, sometimes our obedience to God will cause offense to the world. But if we are to live fully for God, we have to be prepared to obey him, whatever the cost, to our reputation. What we learn from Joseph's experience is that sin is a serious matter, dear friends. We need to be battling it constantly, always on our guard against the attacks of Satan. And of course, we will at times fail. We can often end up like Adam and Eve, or like Peter, who was tempted to deny the Lord Jesus and failed. But here, as I mentioned briefly earlier, Joseph is, is acting as a, as a type, a picture of the Christ who was to come. The one who came and suffered under men, he faced temptation from Satan just as we do, yet without sin. We read of his temptations in the wilderness in the likes of Matthew 4. He faces Satan's worst temptations, but every time Christ stands firm. So yes, we fail. But thanks be to God that through faith in Christ, God doesn't hold our failures against us. But when he looks at his children, he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ, who is tempted as we are yet without sin. Joseph is not only here a type of Christ, but his example gives us great hope that by the Spirit's help, we can overcome temptation. We've been given all the tools we need. Hebrews 2, 18 For because Christ himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So when you face temptation, we have here in Joseph a great example to flee it by Christ's help, no matter what the consequences are. And that brings us on to our final point, the consequences of Joseph's resolve. Listen to how the wicked wife of Potiphar responds to Joseph rejecting her advances. Verses 13 and following. So it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, See, he has brought to us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us, came in to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. In this record of events, Moses once again returns our minds, uh, our attention to the deceitfulness 
and the wickedness of this adulterous woman. She lies to her servants and then she has no problem when face to face with the husband that she's just betrayed, she lies to him as well. And she even blames him saying that the Hebrew servant that you gave, that you brought here, came in to mock me. Joseph had been faithful to God, faithful to Potiphar, and yet here he ends up on the wrong end of false accusations from a wicked woman. It's hard for us, isn't it, when people falsely accuse us, when we know we've done nothing wrong and yet find ourselves under unjust punishment. We remember the words of our Lord in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Isn't our Lord here teaching that because we live in a fallen world, we will suffer under false accusations? But even though men may falsely accuse us, great is our reward in heaven for standing firm in faithfulness to God. But in this realm, these false accusations are hard to deal with. And Joseph knew that all too well. You know, he was one of those ones that was falsely persecuted, whom Jesus speaks to, of to his followers. And these false accusations led to him being in prison. Verses 19 and 20 of our text. So it was when his master heard the words of his wife, that his wife spoke to him saying, your servant did to me after this manner, his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. We could wonder why Potiphar didn't have Joseph swiftly executed for such a heinous crime. Here, once again, we see the hand of God's providence in Joseph's life. He is spared, and we know that the story of Joseph ends up with him being exalted to the position of prime minister of Egypt. Nevertheless, he is at this stage certainly facing great, difficult circumstances. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He's done nothing wrong. He has been resolute in his stand against temptation, and yet he winds up in prison for it. But once again, we read in verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. God had not left his faithful servant, but was with him to comfort him as he suffered for doing good. So beloved, when you stand faithfully for the Lord against temptation, whatever the outcome is, remember that God is with you. Joseph knew God was with him. God was not only with Joseph, but he greatly blessed Joseph even in the prison, those final verses there, God gave Joseph favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. So we see here that yes, faithfulness to God is at times costly, but it's always worth it. God will bless you in your faithfulness. Things may not work out as you had hoped, but God can bless you even in trying circumstances. As we conclude then, we've seen here today a great example for us to follow in the life of Joseph. We've seen that God blesses hard work and integrity. We've seen how Satan can throw violent temptations our way through the actions of wicked, immoral people in this world. But even when we face temptations, let us be resolute in our stand for holiness, just like Joseph. 
Giving in to temptation is never the right option. It might seem to be the best option at the time. The pleasures of sin can be so alluring. Think of young Joseph. He was a young man with an opportunity to have relations with a beautiful woman. She could have looked after him and helped him get promoted to a position of authority and prosperity. It was a very tempting offer. But Joseph stood firm, saying, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? No matter what it cost him, Joseph knew the right option was to be faithful to God. And as the saying goes, let the chips fall where they may. And of course, in all of this, let us never take our gaze off our Savior, Jesus Christ, who faced greater temptations than we do, yet he stood firm every time. We fail, and we will continue to fail this side of eternity. But thanks be to God that Christ's righteousness is imputed to our account by faith. And that he gives us who are believers, he gives us his spirit as he so clearly did to young Joseph to help us to stand firm against the temptations of the world. May God give us all the needed strength to trust him and walk with him whatever temptations we face. I leave you with the words of King Solomon from Proverbs chapter 1 verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If sinners entice you, do not consent. May God give us all the grace to follow that instruction. Amen. Let us pray. Great God of heaven, we know that your word is many times a challenging word. And we know we fall short in so many ways. We are a needy people, needy of grace needy for your mercy, needy of your cleansing in Christ Jesus. We thank you for what we've been able to meditate upon this morning. Thank you for providing such opportunity for us to worship and magnify your great name. And as we leave this place, may we be a changed people, devoted to your law, to run in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Bless us throughout the remainder of this day as we engage in holy rest, as we engage in fellowship one with the other, reunite us again in the evening hour to once again lift up our voices in praise unto you. Pardon us uh, for our many sins. Bless us as we travel home. Keep us uh, safe in our travels. We ask all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.